I mean, I haven't had much sleep, but he's just so eager to please me. And I feel the same way about him. Oh. I, I, he makes me want to do things. I understand. That I've never wanted to do before. I got it. He hasn't had much experience. He's only been with two other women. What? He's had sex with two other women? A woman starts dating a much younger man who also happens to be the son of her therapist. Join us as we talk about a haunted movie theater, the limited number of pediatricians in the Hamptons, and why you should never turn down sex to play video games. Then we find out if Prime stands the test of time. Hey, that rhymes. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and your name is... that. My name is James Brief. It's easy to remember because my last name is a last name, whereas your last name is actually a first name. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, James, that's really cool. I'm 42 years old, and you are the first person to ever mention that to me. Thank you for pointing out this very new information. Oh, okay. Um, your middle name is also a first name, Michael. Uh-huh. Wow, you're just like filled with insights. In fact, your whole family, everyone whose last name is Noah, I think we could safely say that their first and last names are both first names. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And everyone who has your last name has a last name that's also a kind of undergarment. Oh my God, we must both be celebrating the first day that we've both heard these things about our last names. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my God. Do, do you think the people, the boys in our high school would have loved knowing this information? Maybe, if only they had thought of it, but they didn't. This is the first time anyone has noticed either of these things, which is weird, but it happened. How you doing, Al? I'm doing okay, James. Thank you for asking. It's that time of year, Al. The beginning of the year? Yes, and something we have not done for two years. Uh-oh. It's gonna happen. Box office predictions? Box office predictions! I mean, we could get a sound effect that would be better than that. I mean, literally anything would be better than that. We just lost all of our subscribers. Way to go, James. I was kind of thinking if this was like, you know, the Daily Show, that would have been the intro uh, voiceover guy. And it would have been really awesome. And it would have been like crashing down box office and then explode predictions. There you go. Sure. Make a graphic and we'll put it up on the Instagram. Yeah. Um, I sounded old just then. On the Instagram. Uh, but this is something that you really, really love that we've done most years on the podcast. We skipped in 2021 for obvious reasons. But yeah, we predict the movies that we think are going to be the biggest box office successes of the year. And then we check back a year later and see how right we were. I think you always win, so good on you. And that's probably why you love these episodes so much. 
you know, we made our box office predictions at the beginning of 2020. I believe it was on our Bad Boys episode with our friend Aaron Newman, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, for Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, and um, our predictions that we made for the biggest hits of 2020 were all wrong because very few movies were released in 2020 because there was a global pandemic. Well, you did say Sonic the Hedgehog would be a flop, and it turned out to be uh, one of the biggest hits of 2020. Yeah, I also said that the Doolittle movie with Robert Downey Jr. was going to be a flop, and that also ended up being one of the biggest box office hits of 2020. Well, no, it's still a box office flop for 2020. It lost like $150 million. Yeah, it was still like in the top 10. (laughs) That's not a hit. (laughs) I mean, it's still an impressive feat. Right. No, if some Marvel <laughs> film makes $60 million, it loses a ton. If some indie horror film makes $60 million, the producers uh, and their grandkids don't have to work. So basically what you're saying is that you won the 2020 box office predictions, even though everything we said was wrong, you're going to call that as a win for yourself? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you predicted the wrong flop. Fine. Well, what are your predictions for 2022? This is going to be a very tough one because we have no idea what the environment's going to be like this year. So, you know, with the nature of the pandemic, if anything's going to be worse, will people return to the movie theaters? Are any of these films that I'm going to say, are they going to be released simultaneously on, on some streaming network, which would kind of kill its box office? But the third biggest film of the year, I think, is going to be The Batman. Okay, everyone likes Batman. People are weird about Robert Pattinson, but then there'll be some buzz and people will hear that he's good and then they'll want to see it. And maybe some people will say that he's bad and then other people will want to hate watch it. Pretty much a fan-hated casting before a Batman film is usually a sign that this might be a really good casting choice. Michael Keaton, and you had uh, Heath Ledger, even Ben Affleck. People thought it was going to be awful. I think as a Batman, I thought he was a very good Batman. Batman. I didn't think the movies necessarily surrounding that Batman were great, but I thought he was a pretty fine Batman. So usually people are not very good at prejudging the uh, casting. This is true. What's your number three film of the year? I don't like agreeing with you just in general, but uh, I think the Batman is a strong contender for number three on my list as well. Wow, because I was actually going to flip-flop number three and number two, but my number two film of the year is Black Panther colon Wakanda Forever, a.k.a. Black Panther 2. I also uh, had that as my number two. This is weird. You didn't look at my list, did you? You didn't hack into my mainframe, did you? No, but I'll confirm it is if your number one is also Sesame Street the movie. Wait, there's going to be a Sesame Street movie? Yes, there is. Ah! Was that a terrible noise? That was supposed to be me being excited. Okay, just to be different from you so that we have something to, uh, one of us can make fun of the other one at the end of the year. I will flip my number three and number two, assuming we have the same number one film of the year. Should we say the titles at the same time? Yes, we should. Okay. One. I was starting from three. You're starting from one. Oh, we're we're off to a bad start. All right. We'll count down from three to one and then say it. Okay. Three, Three, two, two, one. one. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. You think Avatar 2 is going to be the number one movie of the year? Yes. Yes, I do. Oh, my God. Why? Because it's James Cameron, and he had the number one film of all time, 
only to be replaced by his next film, which became the number one film of all time, until Endgame overtook it, and then they just released this film again, and it quickly surpassed Endgame again. And James Cameron has not only possibly the greatest sequel of all time, but he also has two of the greatest sequels of all time that he's made that are also regularly on lists of sequels that are better than their predecessors. So I think that betting against James Cameron is a foolhardy bet. I'm betting against James Cameron. I don't think anyone is going to care about Avatar 2. It's been too damn long since the first movie. The hook that drew people to the theater for the first one was that it was a really great movie in 3D. I don't think people care. I feel like the movie has been maligned and mocked and made fun of. It's also been delayed and delayed and delayed again. You're also betting that this movie will actually come out in 2022, which is in and of itself a gamble. That is true. That is true. Now, that being said, if it's not there, I will shift those other two films and I would put Doctor Strange as number three. I was trying to see where to fit that in and I kind of flipped it with Batman and I just think that the hype and everyone's going to be so curious what they're going to do for Black Panther 2 that I think it's just going to wind up being, uh, it's going to do so well. But I think uh, Doctor Strange is really the film I'm looking forward to because of its part in the Marvel Universe that it's going to play. But the more fun thing to do, I think, is try to pick a flop. And by flop, I mean not the film that's going to make the least money, but, you know, some kind of Spider-Man film that only winds up making, you know, $60 million or something, you know, terrible. Something that's going to be definitely a big box office disappointment. I mean, I was going to say Avatar 2. Really? Okay, go for it. Say Avatar 2. Say it. Go no, for it. No, I don't want to because, you know, you're all you're making that weird face at me. Oh, I want you to bet that not only uh, will it not do well, but it's going to be a flop. Come on, Al. Come on, bet against James Cameron. <laughs> I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Um, if it does turn out to be a huge flop, I am going to rub it in your face. I also don't think it's coming out in 2022. Um, I think... Top Gun colon Maverick is going to underperform at the box office. I don't think people care about seeing a sequel to this movie. I am kind of surprised that it got greenlit, but I guess Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. So there you go. Um, I know you don't watch trailers, so I'm guessing you haven't seen the trailer for the movie Moonfall, have you? No, I've never even heard of the film. Yeah, well, I have because the trailer for it played in front of most of the movies I saw in the theater in 2021, or at least a couple of them. It's a Roland Emmerich movie where it seems like Independence Day, except instead of aliens, the bad guy coming to kill all life on Earth is the moon? No, I'm sorry. I did see this trailer because I saw No Time to Die. Okay. And um, my rule with trailers, I don't watch trailers of a film that I'm going to see anyway because then it's going to spoil it. But I saw this and I go, I have no idea what this is. So I did watch it. And I was I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking... The moon just is crashing through the earth. I'm, I'm guessing the words gravitational pull or knocked off its axis is going to be used wrongly in this film. Like, I don't understand it on any level. I have to assume that that's going to be a flop. I think it's coming out in February, so there should 
probably still be some hesitancy with people running to the theaters. I can't imagine that many people are going to go see a movie where the moon is a bad guy. That's my pick, Moonfall. Okay, that's a good one, because Roland Emmerich has had such a bad uh, track record. And my prediction is Fantastic Beasts is going to do really poorly. I don't think that this is going to be the eight-picture film that they were hoping it would be. I thought it was supposed to be five. Whatever. I think it's going to limp along to five because probably J.K. Rowling uh, had it like in her contract that it was you know pre-approved or something. I think these films are going to get uh, worse and worse received. I think that's a, a fair choice. I think that will be a flop, unfortunately. I say unfortunately because I like the Harry Potter movies, although I haven't seen either of the uh, first two Fantastic Beasts movies. Yeah, me neither. I I saw part of one of them, actually. I think that Warner Brothers really needs to keep a new film because, you know, Harry Potter, the first one, I think like the 20th anniversary just happened. Yep. Even your kids, like, they're growing up out of it. Like, in 10 years, like, there's no new Harry Potter. And that's like, you know, that becomes like Chronicles of Narnia to us. Like, that's like something that came out when our parents were kids. It's going to be an old series. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll check in in January 2023 and see who predicted better. Probably you. Whatever. But let's talk about Prime. This is a movie that you picked. And why don't you tell our listeners what it's about? Okay. uh, It's a film from 2005. And it's about Rafi, who's played by Uma Thurman. She's a 37-year-old divorced woman. She's Catholic. And she falls for this young Jewish man named David. And he's a 23-year-old Jewish artist. And with the help of her therapist, Dr. Lisa Metzger, played by Meryl Streep, Rafi tries to overcome her insecurities and accept the age difference between her and David. But then Lisa learns more about uh, Rafi's new love, and she realizes that this new boyfriend of Rafi's is actually her son. Now, Lisa disapproves of the couple, but Rafi and David also fear that they may not be right for each other either. And I had never heard of this movie before you mentioned that you wanted to do it on the podcast. So I'm going to guess that it wasn't a big hit at the box office. I feel like I would have heard about it. Um, it's one of these films that came out in October 2005 and it opened number three in the theaters at a $20 million budget. It made about $20 million. It made $68 million worldwide. Um, we're not the demographic for this. I don't even know who you market it to, really. It's kind of a hard film to market it to. Is it a romantic comedy? Is it a romantic film? Do you market it to the Meryl Streep crowd? And I guess they probably marketed it more to the Meryl Streep crowd. I mean, I would classify it as a rom-com. I mean, it's romantic, and it takes place with, like, beautiful, young-ish people in it. So I guess that genre becomes romantic comedy. So the film starts with Rafi, again, that's played by Uma Thurman, and she's talking to Dr. Lisa Metzger, that's uh, Meryl Streep's character, who's her psychiatrist. And she's telling her that she signed these divorce papers. You could tell that these two have been together for a long time. Right. And it's sad because she's upset that she's divorced, but, you know, her therapist is telling her to, you know, get back out there. And then we cut to these two guys, these two friends, David and Morris. And Morris went on a date. And so now they're going to the home of the woman he went on a date with. And we don't really know what they're doing there. 
but she opens a door and Morris is kind of apologizing and then he reaches over to the side and grabs a cream pie and slams it in the woman's face. And I think this is supposed to be a joke. This is like a why that rapscallion kind of a thing. Well, I think this is basically, um, he's still a kid. This friend he's hanging out with is still just a little punk. And when he wants to break up with a girl, instead of doing the mature thing or even a jerk thing and dump a girl, but a kid jerk is is also going to just throw a pie in her face. I think that's what he's doing. That's my guess. But it's not that he's breaking up with her. They went on one date. She didn't want to go on a second date. So then he tracks her down at her house and slams a pie in her face. Yeah, something like that. I mean, he's he's an immature jerk, whatever it is. I feel like it's more than being an immature jerk. I feel like that's like an attack on somebody. I mean, I guess it doesn't like really hurt. I, I don't know. I've never been hit in the face with a pie. But like it's more than just an immature thing to do. I feel like after a while... There's going to be an arrest warrant after this guy because apparently he does this a lot. I mean, it's it's whipped cream in the face. I think this is a kid's prank. It's the kind of thing you do in high school, but this guy's like 23 now. I get it. And I don't want you to roll your eyes at me. Alan, you're overanalyzing it, but I'm going to because, yes, it's whipped cream. I understand that. But if you're shoving it in someone's face, there's some force behind it with your hand. Even if it's just aluminum foil, you're going to hurt somebody. And when her brothers go out and, like, go to beat the guy up, I kind of was hoping they were going to catch him and beat the guy up. Oh, yeah. I mean, this friend's a total douchebag, so you're hoping he gets beaten up. But then his friend, David, he's on a date, and they go to a movie. Then he bumps into a friend of his, and his friend is with a couple of women. And they are going to see, like, some art house movie But David and Rafi, they don't want to see this art house flick. They sneak out and they're waiting to go and sneak into another theater, like some action movie. But they can't get into that other theater because the door is locked. And I understand why that happens for the sake of the movie and for the sake of the plot, because then they have a chance to talk a little bit. But I was also like, why the hell would they lock a theater Like, that just seems like a really stupid idea. You know, if you step out of the theater to go to the bathroom or buy popcorn or soda, then you can't get back in? Like, that's really dumb. It's like Hotel California. You can never leave. But they want people to leave the movie theater and buy concessions, right? Not in this theater. This is a haunted theater. I, I have no idea. You're right. It makes no sense. I mean, but they hit it off. That's that's the point. You're right. Yes, they hit it off. And he calls her like a couple of nights later because the girl that he was with on the date, they break up. It doesn't matter. And he doesn't have her number. He looks her up in the phone book and he calls her and she picks up and then he gets shy and he hangs up. And that's a thing he can get away with because this movie takes place in 2005. These are landlines. They don't have caller ID. But then he calls back and he admits that it was him before. And he looked up her phone number in the phone book because golly gee, he thinks she's swell. Yeah, and I like when she calls him. Uh, we see that David lives in, uh, he lives with his grandparents. So she's like, oh, what do I hear in the background? He's like, oh, it's just my roommates. And then when he hangs up the phone, the grandma's like, David, how about a sandwich? And yeah, actually, you think it's going to be one of these, like, oh, grandma, stop embarrassing me. But he's like, so grandma, tell me about this sandwich you, uh, you're offering me. Because <laughs> a grandma food, I mean, that is the right answer. When grandma's offering you food, it's you take the food. Sure, sure. But then 
David and Rafi go on this date and they're hitting it off. Everything's going well, but they stop at a bodega to get something to drink. And the guy who works at the bodega cards David. And that is kind of like a wake-up call for Rafi. She knows that he's younger, but she doesn't realize how much younger. And so she asks him, and we find out that she is 37 and he is 23. And she feels guilty about that. She feels weird about that. And she's talking to her therapist about it. When she talks to her therapist, she says that the guy is 27. She rounds up the age because she's embarrassed. But her therapist is like, hey, you know what? You just got divorced. Enjoy. Have a fling. It's okay. It's fine. You're in your sexual peak, which was— A sexual prime. Oh, is that what she says? Mm. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure why the movie was called Prime. I was going to ask you that later. What are their ages, Al? 37 and 23. Do you know Uh, anything about those numbers? Oh, it's a stupid math joke? I don't know if that's real, but they're both prime numbers. Ugh, that's so lame. I think it's the sexual prime. That That's what it's supposed to be. That was a thing that I feel like every, like, stand-up comedian used to make a joke about, like, why are women in their sexual prime in their 40s and men are in their sexual prime in their teens or 20s or whatever? Like, is that an actual documented thing or is that just one of those things that people believe because they've just heard it so many times. I mean, I'm not a, a sexualities doctor by any means, but You're I am not. No, I'm not. I am. How come there's a big sign behind you that says Dr. Love? <laughs> I think it's one of those things like the tongue map. Remember those things of like mm-hmm. bitters on this side. That's totally fake. My guess is it's totally fake. Or maybe there was like one report in one magazine or medical journal in or something. 1963, yeah. right, ba- based on five rats, you know, something like that. Sure, 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 sure. Probably wouldn't be rats if it was human sexuality. Unless these researchers were doing some weird, freaky-deaky experiments, man. Eh. Eh, I'm not going to kink shame, whatever you want to do. Um But then we see Brian talking to his mom about this new girl that he's seeing But we don't see who it is because he's talking on the phone. And then we go and we see who his mom is. It's Meryl Streep's character. It's the therapist. And the thing that she's grilling him on is, is this new girl that you're seeing Jewish? Because they're a Jewish family and that's very important to her. She wants to make sure that her son is dating a Jewish girl. But he tells her that his girlfriend is not Jewish and that she's older But he doesn't say 37. He also says 27. Right, right. And so two of them are dating. They're sleeping together. And Lisa and her husband, they're talking late at night. Oh, no, he's not dating a Jew. And I like there's a great line where the father asks, like, what kind of Christian is she? And she goes, what, is there a denomination of Christ loving that you'd prefer her to have? I thought that was a great funny line. Yes, it is funny. I was confused, though, about her husband because my guess, and this was wrong, as we find out later in the movie, but my guess was that her husband was not David's father. Maybe his father had died or they had divorced and she had been remarried. That would explain why Rafi wouldn't know that her therapist and her boyfriend had the same last name. And that's not correct. What it ultimately is is that she just uses her maiden name professionally, which is fine. But I thought maybe that was it because the dad character is basically non-existent in this movie. He has like a handful of lines. He's not important. I thought maybe it was a, a stepfather, but no, it's not. It's his dad. 
You're right. He has a very small role. But the next scene, I think it might be my favorite scene of the film. It's a masterclass of acting from Meryl Streep. Because there is this scene where Rafi is talking to her therapist about her new lover. And she accidentally slips up and says this younger guy that she originally said was 27 is actually 23. And Lisa quickly figures out that Rafi is talking about her son. And then Rafi starts going into graphic details about how great a lover her son is. She goes, His penis is so beautiful. I just want to knit it a hat. And it's it's just this great line. Uh, Lisa is getting horrified, and and she's holding back tears as she's asking these things, but, but she's saying things like, does this boy clean up after himself after you have sex? And then she says something along the lines of how he's not that experienced for how wonderful he is. He's only had sex with two other girls before me. So, And she's like, what? This guy's had sex with two other women? Because the guy's 23 years old. And, you know, The mom is horrified that he's had sex with even one woman, let alone this is his third woman. So I thought it was a great scene. I thought she was saying that she would have thought it was more than that. No, she's definitely like, what, he's been with two other women? No, I don't think she's disappointed that her son's not more of a player. I think she's shocked that her baby has had sex with girls. Gotcha, okay. And Rafi's also talking about the fact that her boyfriend is Jewish, and she's saying, oh, Jewish men are so attentive, and you ought to know, you're married to one. And then Lisa's like, oh yeah, but uh, my husband, he has ADD. That, I thought, was a pretty funny line because, you know, Jewish men are attentive, but he has ADD. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, she was in that phase of the relationship where she has absolute butterflies. And there's a really great part where where she says something about um, the age difference. And and then Rafi asks uh, Lisa, she goes, you're right, though. Like, we're so different in age. Should we break up? And... That's Lisa's opening right there. All she has to do is even make the smallest hint of a suggestion. And Rafi worships this doctor. And I think she'll do what she says or what she advises. And to her credit, she just says, I'm not going to answer that for you. And, you know, this could have gone one of two ways. Like, is she going to, like, betray her uh, professionalism to help herself? And she doesn't. She she still wants to help her client. But she's like, I'm not going to tell you. And that, that was still the right thing for her to do. Well, it was less wrong. I don't know that it was right. What she should have done is right after it said, well, you know, now I have to tell you something. Right. Uh, but, but instead, she basically ends the session because her thinking, as we find out when Lisa talks to her own psychiatrist, and it is the thing where psychiatrists usually talk to another psychiatrist. She's like in The Sopranos. Right, right, right. And uh, she says, well, I just assumed it was going to, you know, it was going to end and I wouldn't have to do anything. And I could see where she's coming from. Like, oh, God, accidentally my client slept with my son. It's going to ruin, like, everyone's relationship here. This is going to be a two-week fling. And, you know, she'll talk about this ex-23-year-old that she slept with until she meets another guy. 
I could see where, as long as she was professional, maybe this will blow over. Uh, she probably should have said, you know, I have to tell you something. Now we've crossed the line that you're now involved in my personal life and we'd have to end our professional relationship. Right. You know, that's probably what I assume she should have done. She didn't. And to her credit, she will eventually realize her mistake there. Right. Then there's a scene where David is talking to Rafi about why he can't bring her to his family. And it's because they don't want to see her and meet her because she's not Jewish. And Rafi's kind of surprised by that. And David tells a story about one of his ex-girlfriends and when he introduced her to his grandmother. And he calls his grandmother his booby, which is a Yiddish term? Yeah, it's a Yiddish term. Right. But... His girlfriend is black, and he introduces her to his booby, and he says, this is my girlfriend. I would like you to meet her. And the booby looks at her and then looks back at David and says, is she black? And I legitimately laughed out loud. I thought that was really, really funny. The delivery of that line. I mean, this is a dark-skinned black woman. She is very clearly black, and it's just funny for this little old lady to be like, is she black? Yeah, and uh, then there's a scene where David winds up going to, to meet up with Rafi. And Rafi is a photographer, so she does fashion shoots. And David goes to this high-end uh, photo shoot. And there's this douchebag producer there, and he's telling people off. And uh, David winds up telling off a producer in front of this other model who winds up being very impressed that someone actually stood up for her. This is one of the first times you see he's a stand-up guy that can you know actually kind of act like an adult here. Yeah, he's standing up for uh, his girlfriend and he's standing up to this jerk, but he is still being immature because this is his girlfriend's work. This You're is right. her boss. You're right. Like, you know, and a real adult would just know not to do that, even if he really wanted to tell the guy off. Uh, but eventually, David and Rafi go on a date and Rafi begs David to go back to his place because they always go back to her place. And he relents. He takes her back to his place, which is really his grandparents' place. And Rafi falls down laughing when she realizes that he lives with his grandparents. And that's who his roommates are. And he's embarrassed, rightfully so. I think most guys would be in that situation. But while she's in his apartment, she sees his art because David is a painter, but he only does that on the side and it's a hobby and everyone in his family tells him that's not a real job and it'll never work. But she looks at his paintings and says, wow, you have real talent. I'll set you up with someone who can look at your work and maybe he'll buy some pieces or something. And she believes in him and his art. And she's the first person who's ever really done that. Yeah. There's a great scene where uh, Rafi is coming up to uh, to have her session. David is over, and they're all going to run into each other. But she pulls Rafi in the office just in time, and Rafi and David are moving in together. And David, of course, doesn't want to tell his mom this, so he tells his mom that he's moving in with his friend Morris. Yeah, but then Rafi tells Lisa that, oh, my boyfriend's moving in with me. Then Lisa knows that not only are they moving in together, but that her son lied to her. 
Exactly. Uh, then there's a scene uh, that takes place in the Hamptons. This is with Rafi's friends. And Rafi's friends are, they're supposed to be your more mature people. They're, they're Hamptons people. You could tell that before Rafi came over, they're like, who is this little boy toy you're going to be bringing over? Because they're, they're really not treating David seriously. Well, they're being protective of their friend. Like, yeah. they, they know that Rafi wants to have a kid. Mm-hmm. And they consider her boyfriend a kid. And one friend is being extra obnoxious to David and, you know, maybe crossing that line. But I kind of get it because they're looking out for their friend and they know that she wants to settle down and have a kid. And how likely is that going to be with a boyfriend who's 23? So David feels that he's being threatened and grilled and, you know, given the, the first degree, which he is, but it comes from a place of concern and friendship. Yeah, I did like the line in the Hamptons when David gets sprayed in the eyes with something and someone screams, better call a pediatrician because he's such a kid. I work in the Hamptons as a pediatrician, so they would have sent him to me. And then I would have said he's 23 years old, sent him to an adult doctor. They weren't really going to call a pediatrician. But if they did, it would be me. I'm sure there are other pediatricians in the Hamptons, James. There's one other. Oh, really? There's a couple other. Uh, that, <laughs> not that many. That's weird. I think there should be more than two. No, there's more than two, but there's not that many. Oh, but, you know, David's kind of being defensive. Then Rafi is talking with one of her friends, and she's asking what she should get David for his birthday. And she's like, well, there's this new Nintendo that he really wants. And it sounds like she's talking about a kid, you know, like a nephew or something. Like, I don't know what to get my nephew for his birthday. Oh, there is this new Nintendo thing. And it's not a nephew. It's her adult male boyfriend. But then the friend is like, you like having sex? Don't get him the video game. And then she gets him the GameCube, which is, you know, time appropriate. The movie came out in 2005. The GameCube came out in 02, something like that. 01 or 02, yeah. Somewhere around there. This is before the Wii came out, but uh, I kind of thought of you in that scene, and I imagined you having a girlfriend who really wanted to have sex with you, and you were like, uh, I'm just going to play a little more video games. No, never. That's never happened? No. <laughs> You'll pick sex over video games? Uh, the video game can, you can come back to the video game. <laughs> <laughs> video games have pause buttons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fair point, fair point. Um, there is an obligatory scene where... Lisa and her husband are out shopping and they happen to see David and Rafi shopping at the same store. And then Lisa has to hide and she's ducking behind furniture. And I mentioned this a couple weeks back when we talked about 200 cigarettes. I hate it in New York City movies. I don't know if we mentioned that this movie takes place in New York City, but it does. But like that people in New York City just happen to bump into each other at some random store. Not going to happen in New York City. Just too many people. I did, however, laugh, though, after Lisa jumps down and, like, hides behind a mattress or something and the employee is asking her to leave. And she says, oh, uh, I dropped a contact. Like, that's why she fell to the floor. But she's wearing glasses. People who wear glasses don't wear contacts. But um, bum. Mm-hmm. I thought that was funny. 
Yeah, uh, but the next scene, that's when Lisa finally, she confesses to Rafi and that she knows about uh, David and her. I'm glad that this was halfway through the film. I was thinking that this was going to last like the entire film, like that mall scene, like there were going to be a few more scenes of Lisa trying to investigate and not be found out, but that's not the point of the film. And Rafi has to tell David that she's told his mom all about his penis, (laughs) and it's That was a really funny scene. Right. And David's kind of defending his mom and Rafi's mad because she thinks that he should be on her side. But obviously this causes stress on their relationship and David and Rafi ultimately break up. Uh, Morris, the jerk friend who likes hitting women in the face with pies, takes David out to a club and, you know, we got to get you over that girl and you need to hook up with someone else. And at this club, he happens to randomly bump into the model from the uh, photo shoot scene again because there's only like 10 people in all of New York City and they all only go to two places. Uh, But they end up sleeping together. And Rafi goes on a date with some guy who is her own age and it's boring and she does not end up sleeping uh, with the guy And uh, it's presumably sometime later, and David and Rafi wound up meeting up in a store, and they immediately hit it off again. How do they keep bumping into each other? That's true, they do. The chemistry is still there. They immediately go back to his apartment and, uh, and sleep together. Right. And so now the relationship is at the point where David can bring Rafi to meet his family, which, you know... She already knows the mom, but um, bum. But you know, they go in there and they go for. I think it's Friday night dinner, right? It's a Shabbat dinner, presumably, or it doesn't matter. No, I guess not. But David had been joking with Rafi earlier in the movie about how his parents don't know anything about good wine, and what they consider good wine is Manischewitz. And Rafi's like, "What's Manischewitz?" And you know, for anyone listening who's never had Manischewitz, it's the kosher wine that is pretty sickly sweet i kind of have a weird soft spot in my heart for it just because of the nostalgia but it's not really good wine and rafi really likes good wine so she brings over a really nice bottle of red wine and lisa and her husband are like oh this is good oh but it's warm let's stick it in the freezer before we have dinner which you know i'll sound like a wine snob you don't put a nice bottle of red wine in the freezer that's just not a thing you do that's true And at this dinner, David reveals that he wants to be an artist. He goes, I'm not going to wind up being a doctor. I'm not going to be a CPA or a lawyer. And he's like, I'm going to be an artist. And uh, the grandma's like, so I hear you're going to take some courses to learn how to convert to be a Jew. And I don't know if she'd actually said that or why did she say that? Do you know? The joke is either that someone said that to her just to appease the grandma. Oh, yeah, maybe she'll convert. Or that that's just wishful thinking. But obviously that is a super aggressive thing to say to this woman the first time that they're meeting. So you're going to convert. And they don't address that. They just do a smash cut where, you know, the grandma says it and they're like, (gasps) and then, you know, they go to the next scene. I kind of felt like that was a little bit of a cop out. Like I get it from like a comedy standpoint, but also like. No, that kind of would have been interesting to see how Rafi responds to that question. We understand that she's not going to convert, which is fine. So how does she respond to that? And we don't get to see that. I thought that was a little bit of a bummer. 
Yeah, well, we do see uh, Rafi and Lisa. They, they sort of argue about their relationship and their professional relationship. And the, the dinner ends on a little bit of a sour note. But it gets much worse later because um, Rafi shows up back to her job and she sees that the models are kind of whispering. And it turns out the models are whispering because they all know that David slept with the model. But they knew previously that David was with the photographer. So long story short, Rafi finds out and she basically dumps David after she finds out that uh, he slept with that model, Sue. Right. So David is upset. He asks his mom for advice as a mother and a therapist, and she gives him advice and basically tells him to try to apologize and try to make it work. And David takes his mom's advice, and he goes and he apologizes to Rafi. They get back together, but just for a little bit, because David says, look, you want to have a baby, I'm going to have a baby with you. No, he says, you want to have a baby, I want to give that to you. Uh Big difference. I guess, but... Rafi's like, uh, that's nice, but no, you are too young. You can't derail your life. You need to have your career as an artist. You need to do things other than settle down with me. And even though they love each other, they decide that love isn't enough and they break up for the third time if you're keeping score. But this is the real final time. And then the movie does a time jump, you know, one year later And uh, we have a little epilogue. Yeah, uh, you see David with Morris, and Morris is completely unchanged. He's still the immature douchebag. He still hasn't grown up yet. But um, David, he has grown up more because he said he's now an artist. We find out he's going to El Salvador. Um, if he could sell just one more painting, and he's you know we don't know what he's going to do there, but he's he's basically going to do something adventurous. And presumably he and Morris just left a restaurant. He goes, oh, I forgot my hat in the restaurant. I'm just going to go back and get it. So as he goes to the restaurant, either the same restaurant or he passes by another restaurant. And he looks in the window. He sees Rafi in there. And she's out with people her own age, maybe on a date, maybe not. But it's people her age. And he just looks at her. And I usually hate flashbacks in a movie of scenes within the same film. Mm -hmm. But in this particular case, you can tell, oh, this is what they're thinking. Because usually after a relationship, you're only thinking of one of two things. You're only thinking of all the good things or you only remember all the bad things. And in this case, he sees her. He just thinks of all these wonderful memories. And then she looks at him and they smile. Not not a resent smile, not a come here, big boy smile, but just like I'm thinking the same thing you are, and I'm thinking just nice memories right now. And that's basically where the movie ends. Right. So, James, you picked this movie. Now that you've watched it again, do you think that Prime stands the test of time? And did you notice that that rhymes? I did. (laughs) And... um, I do think this film stands the test of time. In fact, I think it stands up a little more than the first time I saw it about 10 years ago. In that the first time I saw it, I remember liking the film. And I remember being a little bit disappointed. Like, oh, I wish they got together at the end. Because that's what's supposed to happen. You called this a romantic comedy. And the formula for romantic comedy is they break up, they get back together, they break up. But in the end, they get together. And this film, they don't. And, you know, you sometimes have that where there's a film about a relationship that doesn't work out. 
It doesn't really matter that this is a film about different religions or the fact that they have different ages. I think those are just MacGuffins. You know, there was that real smash hit about 20 years ago called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And, you know, it was a worldwide smash hit. And not many people were really relating to, you know, the Greek stuff. Because, you know, as charming as it was, I think people were just finding that What this Greek family is saying, it's similar to my family in the theme of what they would say. I'm someone, yeah, you've mentioned this in the past, Al. I've been in a couple relationships. You have? I have. And, you know, this is just one of those stories of a relationship that didn't work out. It doesn't mean that there was a horrible thing. Yeah, he made a mistake, or maybe he was on a break and he slept there. Who knows? But there were little mistakes here. The point is, this was a good guy. She's a good woman. And they actually have fond memories of each other. And that is sometimes how relationships work out. It almost seems like Hollywood has two endings for love stories. They're either tragic or they're happily ever after. And this is actually the more realistic one, which is... Ten years after this film, they're probably going to look each other up, and I think they would be happy to see the other person happy in a family, and they got what they wanted. And I think Rafi would be happy to see that David became a successful artist and then maybe started a family. So I actually think it's a very nice little forgotten film. Meryl Streep is wonderful as always, and Uma Thurman I think is great in this film. And this guy, Brian Greenberg, I've seen him in a couple things. I think he's always charming. Um, What else? I haven't seen him in anything else i saw him in a hbo show uh he's been in a couple hbo shows but the one i saw him in was a show that only lasted one season it was called how to make it in america or how to get rich in america something like that i've heard of that i never saw it but i've heard of that yeah he kind of has that uh Seth Green kind of look, and uh, you look at his IMDb, he's acted uh, regularly, so he might make it more. Just overall, I think the film is very nice. It's uh, it works out. It's it's a tight little film, uh, and it's a romantic story that to me is pretty realistic. But what about you, Al? You never saw this film, came out of nowhere. A lot of people have never heard of it. It's very hard to Google this film because oh yeah, Prime. So what do you think, Al? Does this film stand the test of time? I did Google it. And yeah, you Google Prime movie and then all you get is Amazon Prime stuff. This movie is not on Amazon Prime. It's on HBO Max as of this recording. Who knows what will happen. But I hear what you're saying about this movie being relatable. I certainly found many parts of it relatable as a Jewish guy who dated and then married a non-Jewish woman. Um, I didn't deal with anywhere near the level of guilt and grief that David gets in this movie for dating and then marrying a non-Jewish woman. You know, my parents asked, oh, this new girl you're dating, is she Jewish? No. Okay. You know, and that was kind of the end of it. It wasn't like, but you can't marry her. You can't have kids with her. That just wasn't a thing in my family. So, you know, I can't relate to all of it, but I do understand that, you know, that's a thing. Also, Courtney and I are like basically the same age. I'm like three months older than her. But I do know many couples where there is a larger age discrepancy and that does cause conflict. And, you know, the religion thing can cause conflict too. So there are two big obstacles for this couple. Actually, three, considering, you know, the fact that the woman's dating her therapist's son. I feel like usually in a rom-com, 
you'd have one obstacle for the relationship, maybe like one big one and a little one. But this couple has three very large obstacles for them to actually really make it. And I had a thought similar to what you're talking about. Are they going to end up together? The way I was looking at it was I was going to be kind of disappointed if they ended up together. Not because I didn't like the characters, but because there's just no way. Like, it's just not going to work. And if the movie had kind of just smushed them together in a, yeah, it's going to be tough, but it'll be okay because of love. love. Yeah, like, that was going to annoy the crap out of me. And I didn't see how the two of them could really make it as a couple. And I'm glad that the movie didn't put them together. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff in this movie. I think that the best friend Morris character is horrible. I hate him, not just because he's smashing pies in the faces of women, but he's also just an asshole. Like, he's not funny. If he's supposed to be, like, the wacky best friend, he's not wacky. He didn't make me laugh, ever. I I just think he's a waste of the movie's time. I get the point of his character, but I I think they could have executed the Morris character in a much better way. Do something else immature and jerky. You know, toilet paper, his ex-girlfriend's houses or something. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know what he could have done, but I just didn't like him. I did find uh, the male lead charming. I think it's a bummer that I haven't seen him in a lot of other things. He's a nice, good-looking Jewish boy. We need more of those in movies, you know? Nice, handsome Jewish boys. Are you trying to get yourself cast, Al? I mean, maybe. Along those lines, I feel like I should say, I like Meryl Streep, but she's not Jewish. They should only have a nice Jewish actress play a Jewish role but I can't say that. It's Meryl freaking Streep. I mean, she can do whatever. She's really great in this movie. Um, Honestly, this is the kind of movie that isn't the kind of movie I'm going to run to see over and over again. It's not my favorite thing ever, but it's a good movie. It presents a relationship in a somewhat realistic way, even though there's some kind of weird ethical choices made by a therapist and stuff like that. And I did laugh out loud a couple of times in the movie. So, yeah, I will say that it does stand the test of time. Well, I guess that's two for two for us. Yes, uh, that's the first time we've agreed all year. It's only our second episode of the year, but still notable. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to come back with another movie that you've selected that I've never heard of. What is this movie? It's about a Secret Service agent. Sounds cool so far, right? I guess. The Secret Service agent. Now, hear me out. It's Sinbad. What? Yes. And the kid is now one of the richest crypto billionaires in the world. Is a movie called First Kid. Okay. Yeah, we'll check this film out. Interesting. In the meantime, we want to hear from you at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us. We are the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, make sure you're subscribed. And uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.